We are here for the school updates, and it's my pleasure to introduce our incredible, incredible, um, what do you call yourself? Moderator, Moderator for this uh, event. <laughs> well, um, I'd like to tell you something about this amazing woman. She is a mother of six, a grandmother of five, who loves to cook, works for as a contractor for the VA system, and happens to be the GDUI president. So let's hear it for an incredible woman who has, what, like 12 full-time jobs? That's it. Hey, Penny. Hey. Here's Penny Reader to take over for this, the Guide Dog School updates. Hey, I want to welcome everybody. We're so excited that you're here. Are you having a good time? Good. Do you love the relief areas? I think they're the best we've ever had. The play area is in the relief area at the front of the hotel, I think. The West Tower. Um, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Deanna just said. It's next to the relief area. There's a fence um, so the dogs can stay inside and be safe. And I think there's a ton of toys. So, uh, and I'm glad it's outside because. I really like those outside relief areas better than the indoor relief areas. So this has always been my favorite part of our GDY meetings, and that's the guide dog school update. Um, I am not sure which schools are here, so I have a list. And if there's nobody there, somebody will tell me. And if I've left anybody else out, which is possible, um, somebody will tell me that as well. So can you all hear me, and can you be quiet so we can all hear? Thank you. Is anyone here from Southeastern Guide Dogs? Did I hear a no? Okay. Um, I'm going to, uh, the next school on my list is a seeing eye. Lucas? Oh, you're here? Great. Come up. I've got no problem waiting. <laughs> so we want everybody to speak for about six minutes. I know that's not much time, but we have a really tight schedule today. And then at the very end, after every school has spoken, we'll have a little bit of time for questions. Is that okay? And I'm sorry, I didn't hear your name. Southeastern. Southeastern is first. I started at the bottom of the country. Oh, I thought, oh. Okay, so we're going to, uh, so, hey, Chelsea. So I'm sorry that the uh, Southeastern didn't make it. I hope they can come next year because I heard a number of you have dogs from Southeastern and others of you are waiting for dogs out from Southeastern. So maybe next year you can come to St. Louis. Chelsea, you're on. Where are you? I'm trying to move on. There you can find me when you can sit and down. Lily, be quiet. Willow and Hannah were saying hello. <clears throat> All right. So here we go. Is that any better? Oh, all right. I can usually yell pretty loud. So anyways, all right. So <clears throat> back in the spring, the Seeing Eyes Board of Trustees and the um, powers that be met 
They meet about every three years, and, and I, I really think they just sit around and drink beer and have a good time. But anyways, they, um, they meet and, you know, discuss missions and all that kind of stuff. And they met and decided that the mission is going to remain the same, to train guide dogs for people who are blind or visually impaired. So that was that. Um, we have just completed um, a guide dog awareness campaign um, focused on how people, and especially people's pet dogs, should interact with guide dogs. And um, we have created um, some sort of public awareness material. There's, there's actually brochures you can get to hand out. And there are some um, radio and video spots that can be given to radio stations and, and TV stations and all that kind of stuff to talk about appropriate behavior of the general public and especially other dogs uh, around guide dogs. And that stuff is available to anybody. And it is out on a website that you can get all of this stuff. And that website is www.guidedogatwork.org. Um, and I went and checked it out the other day, and it's really cool. There's a whole bunch of information out there about dog attacks, so all the statistics that, um, that uh, Ginger and GDUI collected is out there. Um, those PSA spots are out there. Um, and a, a ton of information is out there to share with the general public. So it's really cool. Uh, we've had a lot of folks retire over the last year or so. For a lot of you know that um, Pauline Alexander, our director of admissions, retired back in the spring. It was very sad. She is, en <laughs> she is enjoying her retirement, though. Um, a lot of you may recognize the name Angela McDyer. Um, Angela was Pauline's assistant. And Angela has taken Pauline's place. Um, filled some very, trying to fill some very big shoes, and I'm sure she will do an awesome job. Um, so that left Angela's position open. So Lori Delmer, um, who was an instructor for the Seeing Eye for a number of years, has taken Angela's place. So... There is still familiar faces in admissions. Uh, a lot of you may recognize the name Drew Gibbon. Um, Drew has been an instructor with the Seeing Eye for about 35 years now. And Drew has decided to retire. Um, Drew will be retiring at the end of September when he finishes the class that he is currently in. So, uh, We also have hired um, Ellen Ringle. She worked for the Seeing Eye quite a number of years ago as an instructor. She left the seeing eye to raise a family, and she is now back with us, and she is doing our uh, interviews that are part of our application process, um, and that is to uh, bring down the um, weight people have, um, not only for the interview, but to get into class. So those are all the retirements and such that have gone on. Um, about three months ago now, um, Amazon donated... Um, echoes and dots to the seeing eye. So each student room has a dot um, that has Amazon Music on it, plus everything else that you can get Alexa to do. Um, the Alexa computer thing, not, not the dog. Um, 
And all of the student lounges have um, the echoes in them. Uh, and um, we are going to be starting, don't have an exact date yet, probably in the spring of next year, but uh, a kennel expansion. Um, currently, dogs on campus are housed in two different kennels, and we really want to get them all to be in one kennel. So we are going to expand um, our kennel where our veterinary clinic is at so that we can house all of our dogs in one kennel and so that they'll be closer to um, our vets and our vet clinic and all that kind of stuff. So that is what's new at the Seeing Eye. Thank you, guys. Oh, oh, oh. And, and really quick, because people ask me all the time, who's here from the Seeing Eye? Um, Lucas Frank is here. I'm here. Chelsea White. Brian McKenna is here. Um, Bill Howard, who is an apprentice instructor. Lauren Christie, who has just finished her apprenticeship. And I'm missing somebody. Victoria. And Victoria. Victoria Lombardi, um, who is also an apprentice instructor. And Chris Mattoon, um, who I'm sure a lot of you recognize has been with the Seeing Eye for a long time. <laughs> okay, now I'm done. Thank you, Chelsea, and thank you, Seeing Eye. Uh, there will be room for time for questions at the end. Um, no, you can go back. To, back. It's up to you. Um, can, is there someone here from Guiding Eyes? Yes. Can you come up? Becky. Hey, Becky. Hey, Becky. Hey, Becky. So we're like right up here. I'm sure Willow will bark to give you like a beacon. <laughs> okay. Yep, here she goes. Little growl, growl. Here you go, Becky. Do you want to come back behind the podium? Willow, quiet. Willow, quiet. Quiet. Hey, Vincent, how are you? Shepard's barking at me. I'm so scared. Hi, everybody. It's Becky Davidson from Guiding Eyes. Um, Okay, well, what's going on at Guiding Eyes? Well, we're training guide dog teams, um, <laughs> averaging about 160 a year. Um, our running dog program that I think we told you about last year is continuing to grow. Um, it is a program where a guide dog, a team is trained first as a guide dog team, and if the applicant has indicated that they have an interest in running for exercise, um, we will, when we're picking the dog or looking to match the dog with that person, we will see if that dog is capable of that. We actually do have an a instructor now who's dedicated to the running dog program. Um, he doesn't actually train guide dogs, but he does train, do the running dog training. And he's a retired New York detective, so he can run really fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, really, really nice guy. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about that. As part of our follow-up services, we've really started taking advantage of some of the technology that's out there. Um, we have instructors on phone calls every day during the week, and that instructor fields phone calls about from graduates about any number of things. But one of the things that was pretty cool that I happened to witness the other day was an instructor who 
when talking to a graduate about a route they were having trouble with or an intersection they were having trouble with, pulled it up on Google Maps and in real time was able to look at the intersection and see exactly what, what it was and what the problem might be. So we are also working with IRA to add, um, yeah, to add IRA services as part of follow-up opportunities for our graduates who are having difficulties with specific routes or intersections or crossings. Um, or for first-time graduates going home with their first guide dog, um, we may be able to have them take the glasses home for a, a short period of time just to really get a picture if there, you know, if there are things that we need to help them with. And of course, our instructors are available by phone or email easily at any time. And if we can't do it over technology, then we will have an instructor um, to that person's area quickly. Um, retirements and hirings. The newest hire is our new field rep based in Denver, Colorado, named Melissa Smith. And she happens to be here this week. Some of you may remember Melissa from another school. Um, and we're very excited to have her on board. Also with us, um, and you'll hear from him tomorrow, is Del Rodman, field representative who's based in, in Massachusetts, in the Springfield area. Um, and also in, instructors Kate Gardner and, and Amy Scardato. And we have one of our regional managers from the puppy program here, um, Maureen Hollis. We have found over the past several years that having people from our puppy program come and really observe real world guide dog. Well, wait, is this the real world? <laughs> it's, but it's a really great opportunity for them to see what guide dogs do um, and take that information back to the puppy raisers. Um, so we're, you know, we're really pleased that our puppy program is in is on board with um, with doing that. Um, one of our long range plans is is to build a new kennel new state-of-the-art kennel. Our canine development center was completely renovated a couple of years ago, and it's amazing. Um, for That's where the puppies are bred and whelped and uh, begin the process of becoming guide dogs. So, so we're very excited about that. Um, and I think in terms of school updates, I think that's pretty much it. Um, but I'm here and more than happy to answer questions when it's that time. Bye, Lawson. Thank you, Guiding Eyes, and thank you, Becky. The next school on my list is the Guide Dog Foundation. Will it be quiet? Is there someone here from Guide Dog Foundation? Cool. Thank you. Oh, that's right. You ran the mic for us. I'm sorry. I have forgotten your name already. I'm sorry. Thank you, Anne. Hello, everyone. Um, this is Ann Mercer with the Guide Dog Foundation um, from Smithtown, New York, which is Long Island. Um, I am one of the instructor field reps. I'm currently located in Kentucky, and my job is um, being out on the road helping people out when they run into trouble. So our school update is currently all of our guide dog classes are two-week programs, and we do, the, um, we do clicker and food reward training which has had very, very positive results. And I am totally in love with it. I had never done it before about two years ago. And I'm completely sold on it. Um, as well as our two-week program, we, we do offer home trainings for people who have very specific needs and reasons that they can't come into class. 
Um, in class, we have a two-to-one ratio of instructors to our students to instructors, two students per instructor. And what we try to do is we try to match two students with very similar needs, if possible. So we don't like to match a person that lives in the country with a person that lives in the city because then it's very hard to customize that training and give everybody what they need. So we try to match those two students so we can customize the class training um, as much as we possibly can. Um, for those who have known the Guide Dog Foundation of the past, you know that our city training was in Flushing, Queens. Um, we have recently developed a wonderful relationship with the Lighthouse Guild in Manhattan and they allow us to hang out at their facility for city training. So the students in class will hang out in one of their conference centers and we do our city training right in the middle of Manhattan. Um, I don't know where their new facility is. Do you know, Greta? They, where we have been hanging out was near, you know where it is? It's West End Avenue between 63rd and 4th. Okay, is that, is that? Very close. It's, it's close to where they have been? Okay. So their location gave us a lot of access to um, working in Central Park and other things, jumping on the subway, going to Times Square, and doing a much bigger variety of routes right in Manhattan. Um, I am one of five field reps currently assigned to um, the Guide Dog Foundation. Um, we all have our assigned zones. So when a person is applying in one of our zones or a graduate has an issue in our zone, we're made aware of it. And then we contact those people and we are that first point of contact for all of our applicants. Um, so if you were to apply for a guide dog from the Guide Dog Foundation today, you could go online, fill out a form that's your application, and Within three business days, you will be contacted by the field rep assigned to your area. Um, it might be an email. It might be a phone call. Um, we spend a lot of time on the road, so sometimes phone calls are difficult to get to. Um, but you should hear from us within three business days. And we're going to talk to you about your application, what your interests are, what your needs are, um, and determine if it makes sense for you to move forward at this time. So things that I would ask on that phone call, have you had O&M training? What's your experience with guide dogs to this point? Um, what does your life look like? Make sure that we have the type of dog that you're looking for, which by the way, the breeds we have are labs, golden retrievers, the cross between those two breeds, and poodles for people with diagnosed allergies. For some reason, people think we still have German Shepherds, but we haven't for a few years. So I've actually talked to several people in the last few weeks that were applying to us for a German Shepherd, and I was like, who's telling you we have them? Because we, we did away with the German Shepherds a couple years ago. Did away. We did away. <laughs> yes. And me, as I actually love the breed, but um, I agreed with the decision because... Um, <clears throat> It, they just weren't working out. We didn't have the right lines and stuff. So, um, so we're no longer doing German Shepherds or the Collies. Um, we've actually limited down to Labs, Golden Retrievers, and the Cross, and then the Rare Poodle. Um, so then when you do have a dog from us, if you have a problem, you would call the Consumer Services Office. And if it's something the Consumer Services deals with, they'll deal with whatever your issue is or help you with ordering supplies, this, that, and the other. 
If it's a medical situation with your dog, they will forward your message on to the veterinary services department. Or if it's behavioral or training related, then the field reps find out about that. And then we contact you. And just like Becky was saying, technology has made our jobs very interesting and neat. Um, between Google Earth and being able to look at specific routes, or being able to FaceTime and Skype people and talk them through whatever's going on, whether they're having a, you know, hey, my harness is broken. And it's like, what do you mean it's broken? Well, here, let me show you. And so we're able to actually help people with stuff thanks to the internet. Um, if your situation is something that we cannot solve over the phone or email or internet, then your field rep will come and see you and help you with whatever that issue is. We do have a streamlined application process. It goes much quicker and much easier than before. We've simplified it and done away with a few things. So people who got caught up in the pain in the neck application process in the past, it's much better now. Um, we have all of our lectures online now. So you can review them before you come to class, while you're in class, and then when you go home, if you need a refresher a year later, you can look up that lecture online and get a little refresher on it. And that's in um, text, word, and audio. Uh, we do do some cross-training of guide dogs and service dogs because we have our service dog program. Our service dog instructors and our guide dog instructors work close together when there's a dual need um, for a dog. And again, the service dog um, tasks are trained based on an actual disability that needs to be mitigated. So we won't train a dog to retrieve just because somebody wants retrieve they have to have an actual reason for that. Um, so we'll do retrieve type things, nightmare interruption, um, hearing dog tasks, things like that. Diabetic or not? No, we're not doing any type of diabetes stuff. Okay. Even our service dog program isn't doing the diabetes. Um, we do do seizure response, but not seizure alert because that's something that's really kind of hard to train. But we will train a dog what to do when a person has a seizure. Okay. Um, we are also working with Ira doing some um, testing and whatnot. Our newest hire is Rivi Israel, who some of you know from Seeing Eye and Freedom. Um, she, st <laughs> she started last Monday, and she is one of the managers on, in the Guide Dog program. And last but not least, if anybody has seen Charlie on the Today Show... Um, he is a puppy that is being raised as a service dog for our service dog program um, and our sister organization, America's Vet Dogs. However, his puppy raiser, Olivia Poff, is one of our guide dog instructors. And Brianna knows her. <laughs> so if you, if you see Charlie or anything like that on the Today Show, he's with us. And um, Charlie's a pretty cool puppy. just turned a year old, and I know that because he and I share a birthday. So, um, so I guess that's it for us. Thank you, Anne. You guys are, uh, are very busy doing all kinds of wonderful things. Well, not to leave the German Shepherds out, is Eric here from Fidelco? Great. I have a very soft spot in my heart for Fidelco because my first two guide dogs were from Fidelco. And I also love the seeing eye. <laughs> yes, we still have German Shepherd dogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we don't have a whole lot, not as 
big, uh, not a lot of stuff to talk about, but we do have some new things happening this year. Uh, one, we have two new apprentices. One of them is with us today, so give him as much harassment as you'd like. We got Nate Lavinger back there. Um, he's with us. He's uh, one of our new apprentices. Started last year, started in the kennel. We have another apprentice, and we're we're kind of working with our apprentices a little different now. We have uh, teams, apprentices. So he's on Eric's team. So he's on the great team, and we have <laughs> and we have uh, another one, Chelsea, who's uh, working with uh, Becky Cook, who somebody may know. She's coming in tonight. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Our big our, our big news as far as uh, Fidelco is concerned, we have a brand new vet staff that is doing excellent, and a brand new breeding staff that is doing very well. And we got a we just redid our surgery room and our whole um, medical area. So uh, we have a brand new um, puppy spot where we have like a it's a big glass kind of looks like they're in an aquarium now. So um, a lot of people come in and watch the puppies and. Uh, one thing that the office staff does a lot, we catch them, you know, if they're having a stressful day, they take a walk down and check out the puppies. Um, so you see somebody looks kind of bummed, they go down there, they leave, can't leave unhappy when you see just a bunch of puppies playing together. And we're getting a lot of puppies too, which is really nice to hear. Um, we're, we still, we opened last year, which I think I said in the update, we have a satellite um, office in Wilton, Connecticut. So we're kind of near the Guiding Eyes group of people. So everywhere we see, there's Guiding Eyes stuff, which is, uh, so we're doing some training out there. Um, very little, about once a week, we end up out there doing some training. Uh, and that place is being, is, is, has been successful. Um, and I believe, as far as anything new, we still have a, a camp for kids that come in for um, a total of eight weeks in the summertime, which is doing very well. And we're doing... Uh, we teach them about guide dogs. We also teach them about just regular dogs. We have, uh, you know, pet dogs, and we have um, police departments and search and rescues, and everybody come in with their dogs to talk to them about dogs. Um, and they spend a day doing dog stuff, which seems like the kids absolutely love that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really great camp, and um, we're meeting a lot of kids, and a lot of kids are you give them blindfold walks and. Um, we also have an O&M instructor uh, who will bring out canes, so we end up working with, yeah, we work with the kids with everything, and um, that's being, it's really successful and getting a lot of people coming back, and the counters really like it too. Yes. <laughs> but I think that's all we have for Fidelco. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Is anyone here from Freedom? They don't, they don't usually have enough personnel to come unless we're in the south and John can stop by. Um, how about GDB from California? Or Oregon, I don't care which state you want to represent. Teresa, is that you? No, it's Jane. Oh, Jane. Yes. Thanks for coming. So this is Guide Dogs for the Blind, and where are you based in San Rafael? Right. Here you go. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi. This is, hello. Hi. Uh, I'm Jane Flower, and I'm the outreach manager at Guide Dogs. And while we have a, a lot of stuff going on right now, um, we're really, really excited. This We are celebrating our, I believe it's our diamond Anniversary, 75 years in service this year. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, so we're really excited, and we have a lot of um, great things going on um, this year, including um, our alumni reunion, which will be held in November to commemorate the 75 years. So those of you who are alumni, and if you haven't registered yet, love to see you out in San Francisco. Um, it's the weekend before Thanksgiving, so you can come do some Christmas shopping and hang out and um, just you know meet up with um, friends and see a lot of staff and the field uh, managers will be there. It'll be a great time, so if you're interested in doing that. Um, so a couple of other really exciting things that are kind of kicking off this year. Um, one thing that we're really excited about that we started a pilot program last year is a collaboration with the Lighthouse of San Francisco. And it's basically a guide dog prep program. Because um, a lot of people that will apply for our services do not qualify because they haven't had access to orientation and mobility training or um, they haven't had any mobility training or they really just need to hone up their O&M skills. And so um, we have trained, I think, six or seven orientation and mobility instructors at the Lighthouse um, to kind of... It's a, a week-long immersion program. So if you applied and you're not qualified, we might recommend you for the Lighthouse program. So you would go in and get about 30 hours of O&M um, all in a week's time. Um, and a lot of it is based on non-tactile travel. As we all know, Guide Dogs is very non-tactile travel, where Kane is tactile. So um, we had, I think, Teresa, 20 people go through the program last year. Yeah, and um, several have already reapplied and are already gotten class dates to come in. Um, and so this upcoming year, we're looking at hopefully getting 40 people through that program. Um, so it's really great. Uh, the Lighthouse has a residential um, facility, and so you can come and stay for a week. And like I said, it's about 30 hours of intensive O&M training um, in San Francisco. So um, that is something that's just kicking off this July, actually. Um, Let's see. Oh, okay, so we have um, breaking ground in hopefully a couple of weeks on our new puppy education center. Um, it's going to probably take about a year to complete, um, but it's going to be really great, especially for our moms and our puppies and breeding. It's all going to be in one place, um, kind of like I think, I don't know if it was Fidelco or somebody said they have a big glass bubble. Yeah, so it's going to be kind of like that. So when we have tours come through, they're actually going to get to see the puppies. Um, because right now a lot of people don't have access to that, and they really want to see those cute little fuzzballs. So um, they will be able to see that. Um, and it's going to be biosecure, um, so a, very much a protective space also for all of our, our young pups and stuff. So um, that is coming up this year as well. Um, let's see. Um, I have a camp, too, coming up. Um, July, yeah, <laughs> July 20th through the 24th, and this is a camp specifically for youth 14 to 17 who are low vision or blind and are considering a guide dog. Um, and we are holding it up at Enchanted Hills Camp for the Blind. Yay! Um, and so the first part of camp um, will be all about guide dogs and we'll come to the campus. They'll take a tour. We'll get, do a lifestyle workshop. They'll get to walk with a dog and play in the kennels. And, um, and then if they wanted to, they can stay after guide dog camp is over and continue on with the teen camp um, experience that continues on up at Enchanted Hills. So we have kids coming um, from Connecticut, Texas, a couple out of state, and several in California. So we're really looking forward to that this year. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And a lot of the other stuff still, you know, going strong. Our follow-up program is, is awesome. We've got eight field managers that live throughout the U.S. and cover all their zones and then parts of Canada as well that we serve. Um, we have a support center that's open Monday through Friday, and we've got two, four, six, seven people 
that work in the support center. Two are veterinary staff, um, three guide dog instructors, and two um, graduates that are in there to answer questions. And, and like all the other schools, you know, the, the theme seems to be technology is leading the way. And so we're able to troubleshoot a lot of things over the phone. A lot of dog people will put, um, what are those things called? They put on their dogs, those little cameras. GoPro, you know, so they'll have a GoPro on their dog or different, just different ways of, um, you know, pr- uh, troubleshooting without maybe having to actually go out there. So it's saving a lot of people time and a lot of money and, and it's um, really helpful. However, of course, if there is a safety issue um, or something that cannot be done over the phone, we will get somebody right out to that person um, as soon as possible. And um, am I forgetting anything, Teresa? I don't think so. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> wait time. Wait time for a dog. This has been a big topic. Uh, it's coming down. We're about eight months right now. Um, and we've hired a lot new. Uh, we have about 26 to 28 apprentice instructors right now who are kind of moving up in the ranks. And so that wait time for a dog, um, our goal is to bring it down to about um, four to five months. So that is, that is slowly coming down. And this year we're hoping to train about 350 teams. So, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Um, is Leader Dog here? Yes. Great. Come on up. David. Hi, David. <laughs> I'll uh, try and keep to my six minutes if I can. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is uh, David Lachlan. I'm the director of programs at Leader Dogs for the Blind. Um, so, updates. Um, guide dog program. Uh, we are roughly in the region of graduating around 190 teams per year. Um, that should be pretty much the same for the next fiscal year that's, that's coming up ahead of us. Um, in terms of class, uh, we're still at the, the same sort of model of 20 days for graduates, 25 days in class uh, for new, new applicants to our program. Um, also, we have an orientation and mobility program, um, and what's really cool with that is this fiscal year that we've just wrapped up, we actually have graduated 100 people from that program, so that's new for us. Um, so that's a landmark for Leader Dog, which is kind of awesome for us. Uh, we're just coming off the back of a summer camp, so that's for children who are 16 or 17 who are legally blind. Um, that was last week, that's an awesome program. Um, I got to be pretty involved with that. Um, things like zip lining, uh, driving golf carts, all the fun stuff. Um, that's really why I was involved. Uh, as well as things like scavenger hunt with the GPS, so we're incorporating the use of technology and education. Um, and then the, the other really cool thing is the kids get to spend a full day with the dogs, really getting an idea about what, what guide dog ownership is about, and the realities as well as the cool side of it. Um, so we do things like um, obedience with them as well as uh, they'll have the dog with them at lunch. So even just simple things like that, what that's really about, the kind of ownership piece, as well as a couple of dog walks in the day. Um, so it's really cool. So they get one-on-one instruction with, with an instructor. So that's, that's a really nice thing that we're doing uh, at Leader Dog. Also, we uh, have just completed our canine development center. So that, that got completed this year. Um, we started building that three years ago. 
Um, and what's nice about that is, is each department really has their own designated space. So Puppy has their kind of space for uh, whelping, um, as well as we have the, what everybody seems to be going for, the aquarium glass thing, glass bubble. Um, so we've got that in there as well. Um, and a designated wing for the trainers, which is really cool. So um, there's a lot more space for them now uh, in the villages to actually work with the dogs. So um, that's really nice for the instructors. I think that is about me. Uh, any questions at the end, please do ask. Okay, all right. Thanks, David. Um, how about Guide Dogs of America? No one's here? Yes, yeah, I'm good. Hello everyone, I'm Jamie Hunt. Um, we don't have any zip lining tours or fun <laughs> camps at our place going on right now, but we do have a puppy cam that you can see all those cute little puppies on. Uh, we've had a lot of changes over the last uh, year or so. Uh, our newest one is this year we have a new president, uh, Russ Gitlin, and he's coming to us from uh, Massachusetts. So he's just moved out and it's been a, a pleasure to work with over the last six months now and we look forward to seeing how things go with him. We just finished our new visitor education center. It was a $3.5 million building that was generously donated by one individual, that money. Uh, and so we're really excited because now we get to have our graduations indoors, not in the 110 degree weather outside. <laughs> so um, it's a great building. Uh, if you're ever in the area, do stop by and definitely check it out. Uh, we just recently updated our GDA video uh, and it can be seen on YouTube and our Facebook page. Let's see. We have now gone to uh, three-week classes. Uh, we've gotten away from the four-week class, so whether you're a retrain or a newbie, uh, we are all three-week classes. We've also added an extra class in now, so we're doing six classes per year, so graduating 60 teams per year. Uh, we do have one retirement. Uh, many of you may have known Steve Berkman, who has been in the guide dog field for quite some time. He is going to be retiring in September, and will be uh, relocating out to Hawaii to enjoy his life out there <laughs> near the volcano. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so with that being said, we are hiring right now, uh, looking for an, an experienced instructor. We do have two new apprentices on board. One's about halfway through her apprenticeship, and we have one that's fairly new. Uh, once Steve retires, we'll probably be looking for another apprentice as well. Uh, we are using still labs, goldens, crosses, and we currently are working on our German Shepherd breeding program. So we're excited about that. Um, but yeah, still using all of the, all of those breeds. And <laughs> yay! And I think that's it for now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, how about guide dogs of the desert, Nathan? Uh, hey, my name is Noah. I'm a, an apprentice in... Ah, oh, that's okay. I've been called many things. 
Uh, I'm an apprentice instructor with uh, Guide Dogs to the Desert. I'm also a, a certified mobility specialist. Um, so a couple updates uh, with us is we've got a new hire on board since uh, our previous director of training, quote unquote, retired. Uh, Bob Wendler is no longer with us, so we've got uh, Nick Taronis is now uh, heading up our training department, which is a great addition to have. He's a very interesting and incredibly intelligent guy, so it's a lot of fun to work with him. Um, with our training department, we've still got uh, five instructors who are out. Two of us are apprentices, um, so we're still doing about 30 teams a year, about five classes. Unfortunately, uh, this time of year, it's a little warm out in our desert area, reaching a 125 it was a couple days ago, so that was all kinds of fun. Um, so still 30 teams, we're still doing labs, uh, some German Shepherds, a couple Golden Retrievers, and still doing some standard Poodles as well. And we've got about a 65 to 70% uh, success rate which, with it all, which is uh, pretty good, pretty nice. Um, some other uh, fun things going on with us is our kennel expansion at the moment. Uh, we've got some uh, new improvements and enrichment programs going on there, so uh, been under construction, and again, unfortunately, it's happened in the summertime where it's just very, uh, very warm. So that's just been fun playing musical dogs and moving everybody around and getting it all working out. But uh, once it's all finished up, it'll be really nice. I have a nice new puppy den, nice new kennel, and uh, it'll just be a, a much smoother process. Unfortunately, we're not going to be cool like the rest of you guys and have that aquarium or anything like that. So <laughs> you guys can just imagine what it'll be like instead. Um, and let me just check my notes, sorry. Uh, yeah, and so we're also, too, in the process of uh, revamping our website as well. Um, so we're doing that, which is quite exciting, uh, too, just to make it a bit more... Uh, well, welcome to the 21st century, we'll go with. So that's uh, been a nice addition as well. Uh, so, yeah, again, uh, any questions, please feel free to ask at the end. Thanks. Thank you, Mary. appreciate it. Uh, the, the next school I have on my list is Pilot. Is it possible they're here? Uh, I don't think so. They didn't come last year, but we would welcome them next year. Um, and how about the iDog Foundation? I know they're revamping. I doubt that there's anyone here, but am I wrong? I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. Okay, so the last school I have on my list is... Custom Canine Service Dog uh, Academy, Bob Windler. Can you come up? German Shepherds tend to like each other best. I like Steve's retirement a hell of a lot better than I do mine. <laughs> so, somehow I just can't get away from it, you guys. Uh, uh, I, I did retire from Guide Dogs of the Desert um, last October, and um, I, I just couldn't, could, couldn't stay away from it. So uh, I'm here representing Custom Canine Service Dog Academy. Uh, I've been here and, and, and done talks a couple of times with the lady that runs the organization, Nicole Meadowcroft. We did a program where we were talking about dual training dogs. And so, um, so now I'm the West Coast representative for uh, Custom Canine Service Dog Academy. And they're located in, in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> so uh, they're a full service, full service uh, service dog organization. And um, 
So, so why am I at a guide dog convention with the service dog organizations? Three things. Number one, the organizer and the president of Custom Canines is visually impaired and has a guide dog herself. So, you know, to me that's awesome that she's wanting to pay it forward in, in, in the way that she is. Um, the, the, the second thing is, is that we are in the process of training some guide dogs through that organization. So all three of the dogs that are in, currently in training are being owner trained and raised. And I, as a licensed instructor, am the one that's going to be certifying those dogs if they meet our standards. Uh, we are an ADI um, uh, organization. We're going through Assistance Dogs International, getting ourselves certified right now so that we continue doing that. Our service dog program itself is um, uh, pretty much full service. The only thing that we are not doing right now is training uh, any, any wheelchair dogs. Uh, we are teaching some retrieval work and stuff like that for people that are in wheelchairs. Uh, we're doing an awful lot of balanced dogs. Uh, we're doing some seizure alert dogs. We're doing quite a few autism dogs uh, out of our program. Um, and like I said, we're doing three, uh, three in the process of doing three guide dogs uh, at, at this time. And that's something that we're, we're looking to continue to do. So the, the third thing is, is that what this has to do with, with guide dogs is, is me. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. So, so I, I couldn't get myself away from it. I, I do have some things here. I asked Nicole to send me some stuff to just, just a little bit of an idea of what, what it is. We're a small school and it's been being run out of Nicole's house for, for several years. Um, and, and she's been working real hard with that. We are an all-volunteer staff. Nobody on staff makes a salary, okay? Um, we were working out of a, a, a canine camp. We were holding our classes in canine camps out there. We currently have 83 working teams, 32 current owner training teams that are waiting to be certified. We have over 150 people on our waiting list that are in some point of wanting to, to, to get a to get a dog from us. 45% of the people that we service are veterans or first responders. We have 36 puppies in training right now in various stages. What breeds do we use? Yeah, we use those. <laughs> <laughs> we use a little bit of everything because part of our, one of our programs is called an owner training program. So if you have your own dog and you say, I would like to have this dog trained to do this task, if that dog is capable of doing those tasks and one of our trainers is able to go out and give you assistance with that, you can train your own personal dog. So for that reason, uh, I have everything from long-haired dachshunds <laughs> to Burmese mountain dogs doing different types of work. It depends on the task that you're asking the dogs to do. But uh, it, it's an awful lot, of, uh, awful lot of fun for me. So all breeds are being used. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of poodles. We're having great success with our poodles uh, for, for not only um, uh, for, for the guide dog stuff, but for the different types of service dog work. And we're primarily going to go with the poodles for people that have the allergy issues. You know, and, and you start working with, with, with kids or, or people with autism. Um, different things can trigger uh, a, a child. It can be something uh, visual. It can be sound, it can be a smell, it can be something as simple as texture. So for that reason and for the reason that we're doing so many PTS dogs, mm. our wait list can be longer because matchmaking for a guide dog is difficult enough as it is, right? It's difficult enough as it is. But when you start considering 
what are the trigger points for this person with autism? Could it be texture? Could it be the color of a dog? Could it be the size of a dog? Could it be the smell of a dog? So our waiting list is a little bit longer for that matchmaking process. Same things with PTSD. What are the individual needs? What are the trigger points for that person? So maybe a chihuahua is a better dog for that person. So, 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 so we're using a lot, a lot of different breeds. Anyhow, it, it, it's, it's really an exciting program for me. This is a direction that I've wanted to go for, for quite some time. Uh, but I can't, leave, I, I can't leave the guide dog stuff behind, guys. I, I just can't. Uh, I'll go see Steve. When, uh, when, when, I, I'm going to go see Steve once he gets the bar built. So anyways, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. Thank you, Bob. We, we, we are so glad that you are not leaving the field. We, we're very blessed to have your services. Um, is there anyone I have forgotten or that I didn't know was here? Uh, does anyone, is Maya still in the room? How much time do we have for questions? So I need someone who can see to uh, run the mic, and then if you have a question, if you raise your hand. Okay, Margie, just a minute. We'll bring you the mic. If you want to be on the recording, you need to talk into the mic. Thank you. I am curious, from all of the presenters that presented, how many of your schools are IGDF certified? Yes. 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 Awesome. All right. Any other questions? I'm curious about the school that has the um, child or um, children's camp for or youth camp, whatever the camp was, for two weeks. Um, do they take any um, kids? Is there any fee involved or it's only visually impaired um, kids? Because I would love to send my son there for two weeks if it exists. <laughs> and then if the fee is not too bad and I can have some peace of quiet um, for two weeks. And then when he comes back, he maybe he can take care of my dog for me at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> this is uh, David from Leader Lead Dog. So um, how old's your son? I think he's only three right now. Oh, he's three. <laughs> <laughs> So for Leader Dog, it, the, the, the age is six, 16 and 17. Um, yep, it, a few years away yet for you. Um, but uh, blind, for Leader Dog, yes. Yeah, it would, would need to be legally blind. That's correct. <laughs> fees? Fees? So uh, for for our camp, it's completely free of charge, including travel. 
Any other questions I can... answer that all right I was assisting somebody outside for a second um, asking about our camp oh actually all right so the fee I don't know what the fee is um, our camp is um, for just for kids um, it's not a visually impaired camp so it's just for kids um, and it's a it's a one week half day camp so we have one group coming, and it's from eight years old up to 15, I believe. So they're, they're grouped um, accordingly, and we have, a half, we have morning camp and a day camp. No, nope, it's, a, it's an everyday. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to try to answer the questions best I can. <laughs> All right. Yep. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Hey, uh, Gretchen here. Uh, I was, uh, I'll have a bunch of questions, but I'll just pick like one. Well, first, uh, the question that's, that's somewhat serious, but might sound like a joke, but uh, can leader dogs make this uh, really awesome sanding camp for adults too? Because, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I wish I was that young. But. <laughs> Um, okay. Thank you very much. Um, I, and then two serious questions that hopefully won't take long to answer. One is, do any of you, the schools here, are specialized at all, or will you focus at all in training, uh, doing any work during the class um, for people that like to hike a lot and things like that? I've gotten my dog to be really good at hiking with me, but um, it took a little work. And um, the other question is, can the schools um, say which ones um, allow, like, have you be the owner of your dog and which ones don't? Thanks. Actually, um, so this is Eric from Fidelco. Uh, that just changed on our, on our um, contract right now, so you are the owner of the dog. Um, thank you. Yes, anybody else? Okay. Hey, it's Chelsea with the Seeing Eye. Um, so first of all, the, your first question about hiking um, it was definitely something we could do during our freelance part of training, which is the last week and a half to two weeks of training. So it's, it's definitely something that, that we could focus on if it's something you do a lot. Uh, and then to, to your ownership question, um, ownership of the dog is given to you, um, complete ownership of the dog to you when you complete training. Hi everyone, it's Teresa from Guide Dogs for the Blind, and um, as far as hiking, yep, we um, our two-week program is very individualized, and so we talk to people about what their goals are when they first come in for training, and if you're a hiker, we have some pretty famous ones, Trevor Thomas, if anybody's ever heard of him, he's done the Appalachian Trail, he's done the, what's that Pacific 
crazy one, the Pacific Crest Trail, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, obviously this was not part of his sanity um, thing, but, <laughs> but you know, no, so, so we uh, definitely can help people out with that. Uh, as far as ownership goes, people can apply for ownership after the first successful year with their guide dog. Um, that way we can, if, if for some reason the dog team isn't working out, we can reassign that dog to someone else or uh, find another career for it. So after the first year, if the dog is healthy and the team is working well together, um, we will sign off on ownership. This is Ann Mercer with Guide Dog Foundation. Um, as far as the hiking thing, it is something that we could do with you. Um, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of it um, because of the, the shortened training cycle. And on Long Island, the hiking is... <laughs> It's not real challenging. It's, it's fairly simplified walking trails, so it's not like mountain hiking stuff. Um, but we can give you some, some basic lessons in it and let you see what your dog, um, how they do handle off sidewalk, off road, um, four wheeling it in the woods. Um, and we do give ownership at graduation. This is uh, David from Leader Dog. Um, in terms of the hiking, yes, that's something that we, we would certainly look into. Much like Long Island, Michigan's pretty flat, so, uh, but again, we have the trails, but um, if it was something specific, then we may well be able to follow up in home, um, wherever you live. Uh, and in terms of ownership, um, uh, ownership is given after one year uh, of, of graduation, uh, and it's automatic enrollment. Any, any other school? Hi, this is Becky from Guiding Eyes. Uh, yeah, hiking is something that, you know, we work really hard, especially after the first week or so of our three-week class, to customize training to what people want and need. And we do actually in Westchester County and, and that area have some really decent hiking trails. Um, and we also, uh, I know one of our, or Melissa just did this with, with a, a graduate in their home area. They worked on doing some trail work right in the home area where, um, the trails are that they're going to hike. So if a field representative or instructor is in an area and can, you know, go see that person and see if they can just take a peek at those trails and, and work through that, then, yes, we can do that. Uh, guiding Eyes still, you can apply for ownership after two years. Hey, this is Noah with Guide Dogs of the Desert. Uh, fortunately, being out in the desert, we do have some uh, nice mountain hiking areas out there. So uh, we have gone and uh, done that, um, again, to a certain level of difficulty. We're not climbing Everest or anything like that. Um, and then in terms of title, we've uh, developed a new program where we do a swap. We give you title of the dog. You give us title of your house. And uh, it's an even trade. So. But no, we, we do we do uh, we do provide titleship of the dog if uh, we speak with you at the end of class, and uh, it's something that we both uh, feel will be beneficial. Hey, this is Jamie with Guide Dogs of America. Uh, as for the hiking, we're kind of in the same 
situation. It's the desert. Uh, we do have some hills over there, and it, it's pretty warm, but it's something that we could definitely talk about. Uh, as for ownership, uh, we recently just changed ours, and it is after a year. All right. Anybody else? That was the last question? So much. So um, we have a five-minute break. We hope you'll come back quickly because it's time for our next session to start uh, in five minutes. The next session is a CEO of Guide Dogs for the Blind. Thank you.
Okay, our five-minute break is over. If you guys could find your seats and, and plan on visiting later, that would be good. <laughs> Billy is the worst offender. <laughs> Great. Keep finding your seats again. And Lillian, do we have door prizes today? Lillian, do we have door prizes today? Uh, yeah, they've, uh, they've come a few times. Oh, okay. I was trying to get people to sit down so they could get one. But. Okay, so our next presenter is going to be... Okay, so we'll do one right quick. Oh, good. Can we, how do we do it? We pass out things? Okay, Jane. This is Jane Wood, one of our Louisville ladies. Thank you all very much. It's good to see all of you. We've enjoyed, you know, meeting our friends in the suite year after year. And after 17 years, we do have a lot of friends among you guys. Hey, is there anybody out there that does not have a card? Playing card. It's a Braille playing card. Keep your hands up. 
Now, if you have a card from last night, don't take another one. That's cheating. We shan't have cheating. Okay, everybody should have a card except for Penny. Should we give Penny a card? Okay, I'm going to start drawing. <laughs> well, I think we have it now if everybody has cards. So I pulled the cards out of my back pocket and I got my room key. Let's see if anybody has my room key. Okay, does anybody in here have the Ten of Spades? Yes. Oh. Yes. Just one person? Is that correct? Is there another? Okay, you got it. I'll take your card. Thank you. This is a bag of toys, dog toys. And would the person in the back raise their hand, please? You got you. T oh my goodness! They're playing the game. <laughs> playing the game. Does anybody have the eight of hearts? What about the king of hearts? Four of diamonds. Yep. Which oh, kind? Oh, oh, you say oh, these? That'd be great. Four. Uh oh. Penny, you've got the four of diamonds. All right, you get a you get a prize. Woohoo! Okay, thank you, ma'am. All right, what about the king of spades? Bingo. Oh, we're doing good. All right. Okay. Awesome. Four of hearts. Okay, thank you. Does anybody have a joker? You have a joker? Oh, that's not nice. 
That's just not nice. How about the eight of clubs? All right, what about the two of hearts? Yeah, we got we, we got them. Two of hearts. Two of spades. All right. Excellent. Queen of Diamonds. This is the last one. Queen of Diamonds. How about the Two of Clubs? Two of Clubs. How about the Queen of Clubs? Uh-oh. It's got a dry spell going here. Three of Hearts. Yes. All right. Yeah. Finally. Finally. Y'all worked hard for that. Thank you, Jane. Congratulations to all of us prize winners. Okay, so I'm going to introduce Minha, who's going to introduce our next speaker. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hi. <laughs> My name is Minha, and I am a board member of GDUI. Thanks. I have a fan. Um, so as a proud graduate of Guide Dogs for the Blind, I am so excited to introduce our next speaker. Um, her name is Christine Benninger, and she is the CEO and president of Guide Dogs for the Blind. And <clears throat> it's really great that she could be here with us today. Um, and she's going to speak about GDB and um, what the school is doing right now. Great. Well, thank you, men. Thank you. And thank you all for um, inviting me to come. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, so I was asked to give a little bit of background on me. So I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'll tell you some of the things that are going on at the school. Um, please, please, please interrupt me if you have a question. Um, it's more fun if it's interactive as opposed to me talking at you. So <laughs> please. Um, so I've been with GDB since April of 14, so not quite three and a half years. And my background is prior to coming to Guide Dogs for the Blind, I was a CEO at Humane Society Silicon Valley for 17 years. So that was a, um, a humane society. It was a rescue organization. Uh, when I started at the Humane Society, we were taking in 55,000 animals a year, and we were euthanizing 35,000 of them. So in 17 years, I had an amazing staff and incredible volunteers. We went from essentially taking in 55,000 animals a year down to less than 20,000 by reducing pet overpopulation and we went from euthanizing 35,000 animals a year to less than 500, being the most... Well, thank you. Thank you. It was a labor of love and a lot of work. And in the process, we built a brand-new facility as well. So it was um, an incredible journey. And um, I loved it. And um, 
when I retired from the Humane Society, I thought I wasn't going to go back to work. But after a couple of years, because I was tired, <laughs> but after a couple of years, I realized that I really miss being a part of a team that's focused on good. And this particular job happened to come up, and I applied for it, uh, never thinking I would get it, actually. Um, and I was blessed to get it. So it's been an amazing little over three years at Guide Dogs for the Blind, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, prior to, I also had some corporate experience. I worked for Hewlett Packard for 15 years, and prior to that, I was an auditor. Oh. <laughs> So there you go. That's me. Um, I also have three dogs. And um, don't laugh when I tell you what I have because they're all, they're all rescues from the Humane Society at this point. So I have a Basset Hound. I have a three-legged cattle dog mix. And I heard you guys snicker around chihuahuas. I actually have a chihuahua. They're pretty good dogs. <laughs> Pardon me? Did someone say something? Thank you, Maya. Thank you. Um, I do have my name on the list for one of our Career Change Goldens, so um, at some point here I will be respectable as far as the dogs that I have. But uh, with regards to Guide Dogs for the Blind, so um, for those of you who've been familiar with Guide Dogs, we've had a little bit of a rocky history um, over the last uh, 10 to 12 years. So I'll, I'll pull out some of our uh, dirty laundry a little bit. I'm the seventh CEO in 10 years. So there was <laughs> a fair amount of uh, turnover of CEOs. Um, and during that previous 10 years, that 10 years prior to my starting, um, there was a fair amount of disinvestment in the organization. So when I started... Um, and I think some of you are aware, we had done some layoffs of our field staff. We um, had not replaced instructors when they left. And um, as a result, by the time we got to 2015, we were starting to see our graduation rate really starting to drop. And so historically, Guide Dogs for the Blind had been graduating about 350 teams a year. And in 2015, we graduated 276 teams. It's a big drop, big drop. The good news around things like that <laughs> is it gets people's attention, and it certainly got the attention of our board, which was good. And so for the last uh, two and a half years, we've been making a concerted effort to really invest in the organization. And I'm excited about the different types of investments we are making. Um, I appreciate the fact that our board is believing in our staff and believing um, that we really do need to invest in the organization and start to build ourselves back up again. So starting in um, 15, we started hiring apprentices. And actually right now, 50% of our training staff is somewhere within the three-year apprenticeship program. It's a lot of apprentices, right. Um, this year, our year ended June 30th. This year we graduated approximately 300 teams. I actually haven't gotten the exact number, but it's pretty darn, if it's not 300, it's pretty darn close to it. We'll be graduating 320 
This next fiscal year and in fiscal year 19, we'll be back up to that 350 level again. So we're really excited. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited about that. Um, and what you're seeing now, too, is our wait list, is, our wait time is starting to come down. So if any of you applied a year ago, that wait time was about 13 months. So we're now down to eight, and we're continuing to drop, which is good, which is really, really good. Um, some of the other investments that we're making in the organization, Jane talked earlier about our um, O&M immersion program. So we really want to proactively address the fact that approximately 60% of the people who apply to Guide Dogs for the Blind um, aren't accepted. And the primary reason is because they have insufficient orientation and mobility skills to use a guide dog. So how can we really be proactive and address that? And I give uh, Teresa and Jane and our outreach department a tremendous amount of credit. It's taken us two years, really, to develop this program and establish a partnership with the Lighthouse of San Francisco um, and to train their orientation and mobility instructors in um, this pre-guide dogs course. So we're expanding that course this year, as Jane ex um, explained. Um, we've got a commitment from uh, the Lighthouse to handle 40 students. And this fiscal year, we're going to look for other partners in other parts of the country so that we can expand this program even more um, in fiscal year 18. So we're really excited. We've seen some um, just tremendous benefits from this program, no, not only for people who are new to using a guide dog, but also for some of our returning students whose, um, whose sight has deteriorated since the last time they were in for training. So we're... We're very excited by that program. Some of the other investments that we're making is in what we call our Canine Buddy Program. So we, um, not every single dog, oops, do you have a question? Yes, yes, sure. <coughs> so the question is who's eligible for the immersion program? Um, so basically, it's anybody who um, fits our criteria for receiving a guide dog, except that they don't quite yet have the orientation and mobility skills needed. Um, so they have a need for a guide dog. <laughs> they um, uh, basically live in an environment that supports a guide dog, um, and they don't yet quite have the orientation and mobility skills in order to use a guide dog, or their skills, you know, as I said, their sight has deteriorated since they last were in. Is that okay? Sure, sure. Um, we're looking at, you know, how can we better serve those individuals who um, aren't quite yet ready for a guide dog because they're too young, and we're also starting to look at, and I don't have an answer for this yet, but we're looking into it. How do we serve those individuals who perhaps either no longer have a need for a guide dog or um, don't have the physical skills to necessarily 
use a guide dog the way that our guide dogs are trained. So we have a large number of, we call them career change dogs, who are perfect in every single way. Not everybody wants the same job, right? So we're right now placing a number of those dogs with what we call canine buddies, individuals who are typically below the age of 16 and um, whose parents are looking for them to, uh, for these kids to be able to have a buddy, somebody to build confidence with, somebody who can, they can learn how to care for a dog and they, when they're ready, then, then they can come in and, and apply for a guide dog. And it's been really fun to see. Yes? When I was 16, if somebody had given me a career change dog after everybody had gone and maybe for my friends, I would have made that dog try to work, even though I didn't know how. How do you, uh, you know, I know some of them are career change early in training and some of them are later. Um, but what, what's, what do you do with that? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God, so the majority of our dogs are placed with five- and six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, young, young kids. So let me give you an example of somebody who uh, we placed a dog with last December, a little girl by the name of Kylie. Um, her parents were interested in getting a canine buddy because Kylie didn't have a lot of confidence. Um, she wouldn't go to the bathroom on her own. She wouldn't dress herself. She was very reluctant to go to school. And since getting her canine buddy, who's Savon, um, it's, it's just, I, excuse me, I choke up <laughs> over this, but she's doing great. She dresses herself. She goes to the bathroom on her own. She's the, she takes Savon to school with her. She's a really cool kid in the class for having Savon. And so Savon's really helping her become who she needs to be as an individual. So that's typically the situation where we're placing canine buddies um, rather than necessarily with somebody who's just on the cusp of being able to come in to, to use a guide dog. Yeah, if that helps. Margie, did you have a question? Oh, good. Have a comment. Hi, I'm Margie. Many of you in this room, especially those of us that live in California, know that we have a state guide dog board, which we're trying to get rid of. Some of you who travel to California should be just as concerned about that. More importantly, Guide Dog for the Blind has advocated right alongside of us to get rid of the board. They're the only school out of three schools in California, and I really want to acknowledge them because they really have helped us to move this process along much quicker. Thank you, GDB. Thank you, Margie. Yeah, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? The guide dog board in California. Woo. All right. Um, all right. So some of the investments that we're making in addition to some of the um, investments in our dogs and our clients, we're building a new puppy center. Uh, Jane talked about that. That should be breaking ground in another, um, another few weeks. Our goal with the Puppy Center is to increase the percentage of dogs that make it all the way through as guide. So there's a number of exciting things that are going to be happening in that center once, 
we get that up and running. One is we're actually experimenting right now with puppy testing at seven weeks of age to try and better understand what, you know, a puppy's, um, where their areas of strength are and where their areas of opportunity are and so that we can do a better job of placing those puppies with the right types of puppy raisers so that we can really support them throughout that next year. One of the other things that we're doing is we're really investing in our field. So we're going from nine community field service reps up to 12 community field service reps that really support our puppy raisers in the field. And we're going from um, one individual who basically works with our puppy raisers on dealing with behavioral issues. We're adding a second individual for that as well. So we really want to make our puppy raisers as successful as we absolutely possibly can. We want to not have to increase our breeding. We breed 900 puppies a year. We want to be able to not have to increase our breeding and still be able to handle more clients by making our dogs more successful. And then we're completely investing on the infrastructure side of our organization in two critical ways. One is that we're completely revamping all of our systems. The last time we did a systems revamp was the 80s. So think about it. <laughs> What's happened since the 1980s? Um, our system is going to be based on Salesforce and will be a complete, will be completely um, a relational database so that we can tie in our puppy raisers to our donors, to our volunteers, um, to our dogs, to our clients. Um, right now, we can't do any of that. So we're excited about that. Yeah. I just have comments about that. Three, 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 Hi, thank you. Hi, this is Alice Turner from um, Golden State Guide Dog Handlers, Inc., and I wanted to just comment about that um, critical relationship, and I just want to um, ask GDB to continue to support the connection between the puppy raisers and the handlers. I was fortunate enough to make a relationship with two of the amazing puppy raiser uh, clubs in my area, um, Palo Alto and Saratoga. And um, I've spoken. They've, they have um, dogs sit for Cora. We just have formed this wonderful community, and whether it's through electronic, through your Salesforce, or whether it's through connections, um, there's a wonderful relationship that is beneficial to the raisers as well as to the handlers. So anything that you can do to continue that, um, I applaud. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. We try and encourage our... Um, Graduates, if you are available and are willing to join a puppy club, because it's wonderful for our, you know, puppy clubs to actually be able to see someone who is actually using their finished product, right? <laughs> so it's just a wonderful sort of circle of life. Actually, if you've been to one of our graduations recently, um, one of the things that we're doing is sort of the full circle of life at our graduations. So. Not only is this the opportunity for our grad to meet their puppy raiser and their puppy raiser to meet our grads, but one of the things that we also do now is that we also distribute puppies out to puppy raisers at graduation so that um, 
people get to see, again, it's basically the full circle of life um, that happens at Guide Dogs for the Blind. So thank you. Yeah, another question? Do you have them like um, CCI? You drop them, uh, have the drop them off at graduation as well. Vicky Winslow. Okay, so um, the, with regards to the way that um, sort of our process works, it's anything and everything. So. We have um, about 2,000 puppy raisers located in the 10 western states as far east as Texas. So we have puppy trucks that go out um, at least once a month that go out and deliver puppies out to our puppy raisers. And we then bring back dogs that are ready to come back into training as well. At graduation, um, when we actually uh, give out a few of the puppies that are ready to go to puppy raisers, um, they may or may not be bringing a dog back at that time. They may have already returned a dog and they're on the wait list for another puppy. So it just really all depends from that standpoint. Yeah, Maya. Let me give you the... Uh... Oh, you're good. I am curious, I love the story of Savan, and I would love to bring you into that beautiful heart space since we have you here, and I would love to know of any other stories that just make you root into GDB and say this is the right spot. Are you going to make me cry? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> um, so, I, I, oh, God. <laughs> um, so for me personally, I, I think some of the things that really touch my heart, um, there's a lot of things that really touch my heart about GDB, but um, whew, um, I think the relationship that each of you has with your guide is unbelievable, is absolutely unbelievable. I'm a, I'm a big believer in the power of the human-animal bond, which is the reason that I went to work for the Humane Society uh, for 17 years. Um, Guide Dogs for the Blind is the human-animal bond on steroids. <laughs> right? It's uh, unbelievable. And that bond is one that, yeah, touches my heart every single day. Um, and it's part of the reason that, that I'm at Guide Dogs. I think one of the hardest things for me to witness is when you have to retire one of your guides. <laughs> That is really hard. Um, and then worse yet, if we have to um, transition someone, right? When it's their time. Unfortunately, these really special individuals don't live as long as we do. So um, I love watching the puppies, and I love seeing the potential in their eyes. Every single one of those puppies has the potential for changing the world. And I actually think that every single one of them does. Not necessarily that each one has to be a guide, but um, our dogs go on to be to other service agencies. 50% of our career change dogs now are going on to work in other types of um, unique, other types of service. There are PTSD dogs, wheelchair assist dogs, seizure alert, diabetic alert, um, 
all kinds of other types of service, um, canine buddy, and those that um, end up being placed as a pet, they bless their home and they bless you know the the family and the neighborhood in which they live. So each single, every single one of our pups makes a difference in this world. So there's lots and lots and lots of things that touch my heart at Guide Dogs for the Blind. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm Doug Marsh. We're uh, puppy raisers from Guide Dogs for the Blind. An issue that we hear about all too often, and frankly, it just keeps becoming more and more prominent, is the fake service dog issue. Can you comment on guide dogs or the guide dog schools or otherwise on what is happening by way of addressing the issue? Thank you for asking that question. That is such a challenging one, such a challenging one. And I think we're all struggling with how best to address that. Um, one of the ways that we do address it is really more from an educational. Lucas, do you want to help with this as well? Uh, I'll jump in a little bit. But I'm, just, I'm here mic running, that's all. Oh, I was going to say, because I was going to say, you, you guys are doing a lot on your end as well. With regards to that, so it's very challenging, you know, and and uh, the uh, working through the the three laws, the ADA and the Air Carriers Access Act, and so on and so forth. Just coming here, uh, I saw several dogs who, if they were providing a service, it was a mysterious one, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, and I. I know that there has been a lot of work done by the, by GDUI, uh, working trying to work with the uh, the federal agencies to come up with a, a, a new and more explanatory uh, and definitive definition and of the rights that are that that people have with service dogs and demonstrating service dogs. The far side of this is what's going on in Canada right now, <laughs> with legislation that that is being proposed that is. Ex so extraordinarily restrictive that there may be one service dog left in Canada uh, <clears throat> and that will have a severe impact, uh, I understand. I uh, honestly have not yet read the regulations, but I'm seeing the reaction all over the place uh, to the restrictive nature of what they're trying to do. But it, it, it certainly speaks to the concern that handlers and governments and agencies have uh, to this issue. Uh, and <clears throat> to the credit of this organization, Janine Stanley in particular, who worked hard on the negotiation end of it and was not able to come up with uh, with a final solution to, uh, to, to de and definition of this issue. So I think we're at, the, at this moment a little bit at the mercy of the agencies to come up with their own definition and keep our fingers crossed that they're on the right track. That's well, my understanding. It's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. We have a resolution uh, urging. Thank you. We have a resolution that uh, I'm going to work on tonight with Jeff Bishop and Tony Stevens and Mark Reichert, and it's um, one of the aspects of it is to urge the DOT to actually release their NPRM, and uh, so that we can comment on it. And um, Tony believes that the reg that they do ultimately suggest will be more on our side than on the side of pet owners who want to pass their dogs off as service animals. So uh, I guess we're going to wait and see. The regnancy process 
the way it ended was very disappointing, but we're not giving up. So thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Penny. Yes. I'm coming around with the mic. Hang on. All right, Lucas, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I, um, I don't want to derail us off onto this too much, but in, in, in this vein, um, my sister, who is cited, went to, uh, casually went to some people at the hotel um, to find out if, you know, if what the deal was about this, because we actually had a problem with one of the dogs. And so um, she asked about that. And the hotel, and this is a really common response, as we all know, the hotel said, well, all we can do is ask them if it's a service animal, and if they say yes, that's it. And so she said, she talked to them about the fact that you can ask what kind of service, and you know, you can you can't ask about the disability, but you can ask about the service, and da 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 da. But she said they just totally were like, well, you know, we hope nothing happens. And I'm like, you know, this is this is the problem because really, it's not that there isn't actually you know, some laws talking about these things, it's that businesses are absolutely so afraid of litigation or having a hassle that they're not going to even take it up. And so here in the hotel, where it's blatantly potentially obvious that this could be a problem, they won't, can't take it up. Uh, the, per, the, first the first chihuahua? <laughs> yeah. I would love to see this is something that this is a huge issue and there's a, there's there's regulatory change coming when it does come I would really love to see uh, cuss dogs has kind of fallen by the wayside here a little bit but this is something that is in the interest of every guide dog school and every every client or, or graduate of every guide dog school in the country and it's really an area where funding uh, and intent and generic service to the guide dog to guide dog users is something that cuss dogs should should in my opinion address with energy. I would agree with you, Lucas, hundred percent. Cuss dogs is the Council of U.S. Guide Dog Schools. Yeah. Oh, yes, in the corner here. Let's see. Yes, hold on. I'm so sorry. We're all right, Lucas. You're <laughs> this. Uh, Lovely lady in the at the end of the. Thank you. Aisle Thank you. There. This is Wendy David, and you know I think part of the issue is because I worked in a hospital for 25 years, and people would bring their dogs in all the time, um, and then ask me to write a letter so they could have their dogs as an emotional support dog for them in their apartments, which sometimes that was allowable, sometimes it wasn't. But I think what's so really confusing is that there are different facets and different definitions of different kinds of service and people don't know it and the public doesn't know it and so they may think that what works for one works for all and it it's you know someone could have a pit bull as an emotional support animal um, in their apartment but that doesn't mean the pit bull should be allowed in the hotel and you know if the person passes it off as if that's their service dog the most of the public doesn't know the difference. Yeah, I think, you know, um, what it really comes down to is behavior, right? I don't think any of us really cares whether it's a genuine service dog or not. We just care whether that dog behaves itself. Um, and, I, and it goes for our dogs, too. Absolutely. And I, and I think that the way that these laws are, this has all been approached by really trying to, you know, define what a service dog is and, 
you know, make people carry ID cards or, you know, and they make it so much more difficult actually for the person who has a legitimate service dog. And I think if it was actually approached the other way, which is holding people accountable, all people accountable to behavior, and that then that becomes, I think, an easier standard to enforce. And it makes it easier for places like this hotel to say, I'm sorry, you can't have that dog in here because it is not acting appropriately. And then that's it, you know. Because, because under the law, if a, um, a guide dog doesn't act appropriately, the, you know, you can be asked to leave. Yeah. So I'm running out of time. But um, any more questions before I think I turn it over? One w- more question? I would like to promote emotional support hamsters. <laughs> 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 They're pretty darn good little creatures. Yeah. Pocketable, don't take up space on planes. No, 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 no. My mic is seeming to work. Okay. Um, this is, oh, sorry. Uh, we're very glad to have had Christine here to talk with us, but we need to keep our program moving. My name is Deanna Quietwater Noriega. I am first vice president, and I have the honor to introduce our next speaker. And um, yes, yes, let's have a hand for Christine. Sorry to be such a martinet because we do have to keep within our program um, schedule. In 1978, October 28th, I was in class receiving my second guide dog. And I met an apprentice who was kind enough to spend a lot of time with me out in park because my dog refused to relieve where any other dog had been before. (laughs) So it was often cold and windy and sometimes even rainy. And we would be standing out there, the last two shivering individuals, singing to my dog, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is, together. And he has come to be one of the instructors that I feel closest to at uh, my school. He's a wonderful human being. And he left the school at one point to get an O&M um, master's because he felt that traffic and the complexities our dogs were facing were becoming increasingly difficult. And he wanted to figure out how to ensure that the handlers and the dogs could operate safely and what things could be done to make our transition into the world from the protected area of the school move more smoothly and teams become more successful. I am delighted to present to you Mr. Lucas Frank. There were some other songs we had out there. Yeah, well, I was trying to keep it as clean as possible. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you very much, Deanna. That's just lovely. I'm going to put down this mic and go over there. Okay, you want this one? Uh, I think I, is, is this one live? Test no, us. that isn't. I, okay. That's why we'll she handed me this one. Right. Uh, just, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm about there. Um, Bob Wendler, <coughs> going back to the last presentation, because this is a complex issue, and I'm going to take a second to round this out. Uh, handed me a uh, his phone actually. So if anybody would like to make a call, I can. <laughs> <coughs> um, and, but he he, uh, the, he has a photograph of uh, a uh, a policy statement from Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant. Where is this? Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read this just for discussion purposes later. I'm uh, not going to take any more time from from this presentation, but. Uh, Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurants. Due to health regulations, Harris Ranch does not permit pets in our restaurants or interior public areas. Unfortunately, we do not have an exterior public, public access patio where food is served. We have exterior seating and food service at our Shell gas station and Subway restaurant. Pets can be leashed out, outside behind the ranch kitchen restaurant host station under the covered porch. Service animals individually trained, and that's underlined, to provide specific assistance to an individual with a disability are permitted indoors. Service animals are required to, bullet point, remain on a leash and be under the table at the handler's feet at all times. Bullet point, be under full voice command of their handler. Bullet point, not eat in the restaurant. Bullet point, not be touched by other guests. Uh, bullet point, not display behavior that is threatening to guests or other service animals, and this includes barking. If you have questions or concerns, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, uh, wait a minute, please ask for a manager. We want to do everything possible to make your pet or service animal comfortable. So it's an interesting statement, and it's pretty clear for people. Um, and Bob, you want to get your phone back? <laughs> So the question is, how do, you, is it, how do you get behavior? Is there a good way to get behavior, or is it, does it matter how you get behavior? Very complicated topics, uh, wonderful topics, something that I, I expect we've all spent more time thinking and talking about than we care to admit, and we do a lot of it here. Um, I'm also not going to pretend to be the world's greatest expert on this, especially with as many uh, extremely experienced instructors and trainers in the room. We've got Del Rodman. Uh, SpongeBob himself uh, <coughs> and Mercer. We, uh, we've got just a ton of people in this room who know a ton and have a, t a lot of opinions. Uh, opinions are important things. They're sometimes uncomfortable as well. Uh, is anybody familiar, or do you remember, the, the book uh, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend by the Monks of Newskeet? Wonderful old book that... that uh, made a real difference in the field at the time. Unfortunately, they advocated the alpha role, where you flip dogs over on their back to exert dominance, which is a wonderful technique unless you get bitten by the dog in process, which happened quite a bit, and <coughs> sort of resulted in the book being more or less discontinued as, a, a, as a, a main resource in the dog training field. But there were some good things in there, and this is one of them. They write... 
in the book Kinship with All Life, J. Allen Boone went to visit Mojave Dan, a wise old desert hermit who lived with a donkey, <coughs> dogs, and other burros. He asked the hermit to help him understand his dog. Come on, phone. Sorry. Technical difficulties. He asked the hermit to help him understand his dog and get at the truth of the animal. The sage thought for a while and then answered, there's facts about dogs and there's opinions about them. The dogs have the facts and the humans have the opinions. If you want facts about a dog, get them straight from the dog. If you want opinions, get them from humans. I think there's an awful lot of truth in that. Everything that we learn, everything that I might talk about, about how to get behavior, is based in my opinion, which is in turn based upon my experience, which to some extent is based upon what I was taught and, and what I've learned since then, which is a fair amount. But they're all opinions. Every theory that, there exi that exists about how to train dogs, and there are a lot of them that go back a long, long ways, does not contain the dog. It attempts to describe some aspect of what a dog is and how it learns. One of the problems that we have in, in the field and as human beings is we tend to buy into theories and invest in them, and then we're stuck because you can't see anymore. And it has nothing to do with the eyes. It, it has to do with the brain. The, I'm going to begin by reading to you a few quotes. You know, dog guide training did not really begin in 1929 or 1916. By the way, do you know that the first graduate of a guide dog program was in October 1916 in Germany? It was a fellow named Paul Fyan, almost exactly 100 years ago today. Did you know that our entire industry is essentially based on the use of poison gas in warfare, because it's true. So, but guide dogs, of course, as I think you all know, go back a long, long ways before that. And one of the first is a fellow, that, and of course in the early days, blind people all trained their own dogs. Minority of blind people did it in a variety of ways. But you know what? They were trainers. They trained. And part of the nature of training dogs is based upon the dogs themselves. You can't, you know, hamsters are lovely, but they will not make great guides. The, the, you have to first answer the question, what are dogs? Why not use wolves? Well, They've tried to use, there was an experiment several years ago, maybe some of you saw it, where they took wolves, very, very young infant wolves, and put them in homes and tried to raise them as dogs. 
it didn't go very well. <laughs> uh, they were fine for the first couple of weeks, and then they started to show aggression, jump up on the table, and no amount of reprimand would back them off. And you couldn't teach them very well. There are probably exceptions to that. But wolves are not dogs. Dogs are a human-made species. We shaped what dogs are because we needed to be able to teach them and train them to do tasks for us. So when you begin with a dog and then you begin to shape it, you begin to select it. You select for certain traits. So you want to hunt a rabbit or a small animal that runs like hell over the plains, you, you create a greyhound to run it down, or a wolf, or they can also hunt wolves, the wolf, Irish wolfhounds, same types of dogs, sighthounds. You create them. If you have sheep and you want to herd them, you create sheep herding dogs. If you want to hunt rats, you create terriers. <laughs> They're all different species. Different breeds, almost, and in the old days, they called them species. That was later separated out into breeds as opposed to species. Of course, not all dogs run true to type. I remember years ago, <coughs> a dog that was trained as a guide that was a border collie. It did quite well until it tried to herd Caltrans trains. <laughs> so <coughs> it came out in the end. Um, I'm going to read you a little bit about Joseph Reisinger. So here he was. He's blind, and he's trying to figure out how to get around. In, in, uh, he was born in 1755. At the age of 17, he lost his sight to an infection. Um, he figured out how to train a dog. <coughs> and the training which he had given the dog was such that the dog would always take him up to an entrance stairs and stand in front of the door until his master had transacted his business. And it's notable that the dog was also careful, careful never himself to go under partially lowered gates, which would have bumped the master. Walking always in front of his master, the dog was always alert, frequently looking back to see if everything was all right. <coughs> Shortly after this time, Joseph Reisinger married, but so well did he seem to understand the necessity of the continued attachment of the dog that he never permitted his wife to act as a guide but went always with the dog in his usual position. That sounds familiar to me. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people like that. He had his first dog for 16 years. Another instance of what the dog was able to do, they were walking on a busy street and Reisinger decided to cross the street when from a distance came towards them a man on horseback. The dog, realizing that he could not cross swiftly enough to get his master across without being hit by the horse, the dog did what, was a, what he was unaccustomed to do, howled and jumped between the feet of the blind man so that he would not move, and thus saved his master. So it's early traffic work, <clears throat> going back way back to 17-whatever. That dog lived for 13 years. Third dog lived for 14 years. So he was a pretty, pretty good trainer and picked some pretty good dogs. What kind of dogs? Often spitzes, sometimes poodles. They were, they were ready. There were breeds at that time. Another gentleman who wrote a book on how to train dogs was a fellow named Joseph Beerer. So again, coming back to it, these are people, blind people, who had ideas about what dogs were capable of, 
who are thinking about how to get the dog to do X, Y, or Z and figured out ways to get it done. Here's a comment from Jakob Beerer's book. Generally speaking, dogs like to go outdoors and often cannot wait until the door is open for them to leap and bound outside. But for a blind person, this may cause considerable embarrassment, so I did the following with my dog. I placed a bench in the outer hall, but in such a manner that on one side, a small opening was left to get through. Then I put the leash on before I ever opened the door, so he'd be unable to dart out. Thereupon, he immediately ran under the bench, which I overturned, so he might believe that it was his master who had fallen on the floor. The noise frightened the animal, and within a short space of time, he would find the opening by means of which he could lead me outside without going under the bench. In a similar fashion, the dog could be made attentive to the shafts on carriages, wagons, etc., but the blind person must know precisely where the shafts may be, since they are commonly breast high. If the dog doesn't pay attention to the height of these objects, which is difficult for him to do, one ought to pull him up by the leash and punish him until he has an idea of what is wanted. So there you have an example of punishment being used as a, as a training technique. <coughs> He then said, I then went to give him a safe place where there were no brooks, bridges, or banks, or other dangerous places. If a vehicle approached, I pulled on the leash about 20 or 30 steps before necessary as a sign that he must evade by going either to the right or left footpath. And he learns very quickly that in such circumstances, he must take the safe path. When he has accustomed himself to this sign, one may take him from the known road to an unknown one and there continue the training. If, for example, I walked for half an hour and learned that halfway two streets forked, I must give the sign sufficiently in advance that he would not start down the wrong way. So that's success-based training. All these ideas are very, very old. If he would retrace the route without paying attention, one turns back and repeats the signal until he understands it. One might use the same method in cities that have side streets and abutting houses. And now I'm going to read you the most important quote from Beerer. <laughs> However, no one should think regardless of what species the dog is, they mean breed, but that's what they use them interchangeably, that it can be trained only by being beaten. On the contrary, every trainer should make it his duty, when his animal has done well in his exercises, to pet him and make him a faithful friend, now and then giving him some delicacy to eat. It is only in this way that the dog will show his willingness and obedience to his master and will become attached and faithful until death. So training requires kindness. Train, training requires perception. Training requires time. Training re requires dedication. The early training books and what I was taught to do when I was, when I was starting out was primarily based on a technique called molding, where you would, just as a simple example, take a dog that didn't know anything, <coughs> pull up on the front on the collar, give a touch down on the back, and, and get the dog to sit, and then praise it and reinforce it. And you would do that a bunch of times. And then when you thought the dog understood it, you would say sit, and if the dog didn't do it, you would give it a jerk on the leash, and the dog would often sit out of startle, and then you would reinforce that. So you're creating a pattern and using a consequence uh, in terms of how you got the dog to do that. 
making the dog uncomfortable and having it work out of that discomfort to, to a successful outcome was very common. That's a part of a continuum of how to get behaviors. Making the dog uncomfortable, when the dog does what you want, you make it comfortable and praise it. We're going to talk more about that. That's a quadrant in what's known as operant conditioning, the, the four quadrants of operant conditioning. It's one that is often not used anymore, but, uh, but it is one of those quadrants. The dogs that we were training at that time came from pounds. They knew absolutely nothing. And so you were really starting with raw dogs. Had no idea what their history was often. Nowadays, the dogs that all of our programs are using come out of training programs, and they're almost pre-trained by the puppy raisers and shaped by the puppy raisers who bring them, bring them along so that <coughs> you don't have to do that early work anymore. But essentially, the idea of asking the dog to do something, making them do it, praising them until the dog would try to beat you to it by, by doing the behavior upon request, that's basically molding. But dogs respond extremely well to consistency. Some of the best trainers may not be the best technical trainers, but they do the same thing every day in the same way. Dogs learn to understand what's expected of them and, and follow it up. Later, molding, and I'm talking now roughly about the 80s, maybe the early 90s, Training, another style of training came into practice, which was called luring. One of the key proponents of that were uh, two, a couple named Wendy and Jack Vollard. And they also, in that general sort of category, Dr. Ian Dunbar continues to uh, advocate that type of training, where a bit of food was used to position the dog and then the dog was rewarded with the food, and then you withheld the food, and the dog knew what to do, and you could actually get a behavior that way. Good technique. Uh, not used widely in the guide dog field. It was for a short period of time, and it was supplanted by what's known an operant, as an operant conditioning approach. Many of you uh, have dogs. Well, in fact, I, I think we can safely say that every dog in the room was trained using an operant conditioning approach. What is operant conditioning? Operant conditioning is, a the is what's called learning theory of learning how dogs, understanding how dogs learn and what rules they obey in their learning process. There is, if operant conditioning, the theory, learning theory is correct, then it was not a theory that was an, uh, invented it is a description of how dogs learn. It has always existed. If dogs learn by reward, that, what, that didn't happen when Skinner described the process. As we know from that early language of Beerers, dogs learned through reward, kindness, and praise at least as early as 1700, and I suspect a few years before that. So what, what's happening with operant conditioning is the, is the description is coming into practice that, that describes the process of training a dog using certain rules, so-called rules of learning. 
the emphasis in the modern day is on the use of, of positive reinforcement. Everybody's familiar with that? And the advent of the use of the clicker as a marker. And that is truly the revolutionary step. Uh, Dogs have been rewarded. What Beerer is describing as the use of reward to train dogs is, is age old. The revolution is the use of a marker to mark behavior, to, dis, to, dis, to begin to develop a, a shared language with the dog where you can say quite precisely, that's what I want. And <clears throat> that came into practice after Skinner began to describe operant conditioning in the 1930s in Minnesota. Uh, it moved from the laboratory to uh, a training process by a, comp- by a company called the Arkansas Behavior Enterprises, and then the, the, the Navy, which was using it to train marine mammals, and then came into dog training via that route. Uh, I learned about clicker training from Vicki Winslow in the front row, <laughs> um, who gave me for my first clicker in about 1995. Um, it has since moved into guide dog training in a large way. I think every school uses some element of clicker training. The first guide dog training program to use it widely was Fidelco uh, <coughs> in Connecticut using German Shepherds. Uh, they, they didn't advertise it particularly well, <laughs> but they, they took advantage of that approach. I think Mark Tyler may have been one of the first guide dog trainers to implement uh, the clicker and clicker training in guide dog work. Later, uh, GDB and the other West Coast schools took it on. Does it work? I think there's a lot of evidence in the room to say it does. Um, Is it completely necessary for guide dog training? Probably not. Um, Is it a useful tool? Yes, but there are other useful tools. Um, The... You know, if you're trying to train a dog or you have a dog, you have several opportunities and techniques you need to use. Depending on what's going on with a particular dog, you may need to manage a behavior. That means you may have to just hold the dog on a leash and keep it tight to you and prevent it from doing anything wrong. Um, You may need to put your guard... How many people have their garbage out in the open uncovered? Please raise your hands or clap. Give a single clap. Good. How many people have their garbage stored underneath their sink or someplace covered? Single clap. Yeah. (laughs) I think most people do. We're talking about management here. Could you train a dog not to go into the garbage? Absolutely you can. A lot of times you you can't trust it 100% because what do dogs do? What does the species do? What is the purpose of the species? Scavenging. That's what their life is. That's how we came to get dogs. One theory is that that dogs came to, into our lives as human beings because they were hunting, they were hunting uh, middens, sort of dumps, to look for food. So that's the dog's nature. Um, so often, to, the one way to deal with behaviors is to manage it or control it. A third way is to train it. If you're going to train behaviors, and this is something I learned when I started doing clicker training, I thought early on that I understood how long it took a dog to learn behavior because 
I was using myself as a measure. I was looking at, I would figure when I was trying to train a dog, well, I, had, I would have understood it by now. <laughs> so surely this dog has got it figured out. And, and so I would then begin to become impatient with the dog, perhaps use more punishment, because I was sure, and this is, I, you know, I'm, I'm more paranoid than most, but most people have a certain level of paranoia. <laughs> and when a dog doesn't do something, at that point it was really easy to think that the dog was, knew what, it, what I wanted it to do, but it wasn't doing it out of a sort of willful disobedience. One of the things that using operant conditioning approaches has taught me is that because you have a piece of food in your hand, you have a fairly good idea that the dog is doing the best it can to get that food and that you get a much truer measure of how that dog's speed of learning actually looks. So when you're training behavior, you can't use your... Oh, lovely. Um, at least there's courtesy. Um, the, <clears throat> you cannot use your own measure of understanding of how quickly dogs learn behavior. You have to look at what the dog actually knows and understands. You have to give a dog a chance to learn. You have to begin to teach behaviors in a low-stress, low-distraction environment. Get those behaviors to happen regularly. Put them on an intermittent reinforcement schedule. Make sure that the dog will do it when you ask it to. Label it. And then move it out. Take it out of that low-stress, low-distraction environment. Then put, you, put the dog into a work situation where you might be able to uh, get the behavior successfully. I'd like to also address the idea of punishment very quickly. Punishment is a technical term. Punishment means a consequence for the dog that, as a result, reduces a behavior, makes it weaker, makes it happen less frequently. Punishment is not trying to beat the evil out of the dog. <laughs> And you have to look at this very practically. If you are applying a technique that you intend to be punishment and it does not change the behavior, you need to try a different technique. You might want to look at a positive reinforcement way to do it. There is an effective use of punishment. Punishment is a valuable tool in the toolbox of instructors and trainers and handlers. But you have to use it wisely and you have to be emotionally neutral about what you do. If you're not, it quickly crosses a line into abuse. Um, and I'd like to offer the opportunity to my colleagues in the room to address this issue in any way they see fit. Dell, could I have a mic runner? Okay. Test. <laughs> questions, questions. Also statements from, from the senior trainers in the room in particular. Uh, I know that I have a tendency, I think, at times to actually use reward as 
basic as a, um, uh, let's see, what was the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, as a inducement for behavior <laughs> sometimes, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, um, I, don't, I know the dog is actually very much reward trained, and actually when I go through two doors at a time, he will stop and wait for the reward. So I'm spending a lot of time rewarding him somewhere else to keep him moving through, right? So um, I guess part of uh, what I, my question is kind of, is when is it, for example, when there's tons of distraction, I find that a treat will get him back focused again. Now, am I inducing the dog or am I rewarding the dog? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that's a good question uh, the, and, a, and a subtle one, right? But you start to cross the line into a sort of bribery as opposed to re- reinforcement, which is, I think, what you're getting at. I think one thing that you can do to cross that bridge might be to ask for a behavior that you can get the dog to do so that you're not reinforcing, that you're not bribing the dog, but you're asking for a behavior that you can reinforce with the dog, which will have the same impact. So, for example, if you're in the presence of distraction, if you ask the dog to sit and the dog doesn't, or even if you then need to give a correction to the dog to get it to sit, and then you mark, well, I would say mark, and then reward the dog with food, then you're rewarding the dog for doing something that you ask, as opposed to bribing it and pulling its attention away from, from a distraction, which may be effective in the short term, but work against you in the long. Does that help? Del, you have anything to add to that? No, I got a whole hour and 15 minutes tomorrow to talk on it, so. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll be adding a lot then. Good. Oh, you got a question or a statement? Who, who are you? Uh, I'm Eric Gardell from Fidelco. Um, you know, we're d- just, uh, I'm just hearing comments and stuff too, so the timing is very important, and right now with everybody, everybody's watching the so-called punishment is really, you, you got to be really careful of that, you got to be really good timing, and you do have to be very, no emotion at all in there, it's just got to be quick, um, and you have to know exactly what you're uh, either rewarding or um, correcting for, so... Uh, just as an example, if I if I have a dog that is just maybe trying to do a little more window shopping than I want it to do, and he's slowing down and maybe having a little issue, I I'll I'll try to get him to the curb, and usually I'll reward the heck out of him when he gets to the curb. Um, so when I'm working with a you know working with a client and it's something like that, or maybe he's sniffing, we'll try to stop him from sniffing, um, and we reward him right after that for something he's done really well. And usually out on the street, it's it's finding a curb would be the big thing. So I try to find something really quickly to, to reward for. Um, right now, everybody's always, they got their eyes on you. So even if you um, say no to a dog really loud, they're, they're coming at you. So um, timing and knowing exactly what you're correcting and trying to find something right afterwards to really reward. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> More questions? However, no one should think, regardless of what species the dog is, that it can be trained only by being beaten. On the contrary, every trainer should make it his duty, when his animal has done well in his exercises, to pet him and make him a faithful friend, now and then giving him some delicacy to eat. 
It is only in this way that the dog will show his willingness and obedience to his master and will become attached and faithful until death. Thanks very much, guys. Okay, we've got a short break if you need to make a run to the restroom or whatever. But at 4.15, we're going to have our moot trial with the assistance of the the, uh, lawyers group. I can't think of the letters right now. Yes, it's, it's Avia, GDUI, and the ACB students will be presenting a mock trial situation. So don't run away, but if you need to get stand up and stretch or head for a restroom, you've got a few minutes. <laughs> 